We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Um, we're now headed for the Garden of Gethsemane. But, but before we get there, I just wanted to say Happy New Year. Isn't it great to see 2020 behind us? Wow. And I know the Lord's going to do some, some uh, wonderful things this next year, looking forward to all that he has for us. And really, we can say that, no matter what's going on around us, because Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and three times prayed before his Father, not my will, but your will be done. So let's, let's join him. Okay? Chapter 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, He's finished teaching the disciples. He went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. Okay, so picture where he's at. He's coming down off of the Temple Mount. He's headed down into a little valley where a brook flows. And the brook actually flows below the Temple Mount. And then he will head up the next uh, little hill and it'll, he'll be in the Garden of Gethsemane. But while he's stepping over the book, brook Kidron, what he sees must have really, really grabbed his heart. Because what's happening, this is a Passover, and the priests are, are uh, dedicating and killing lambs for sacrifices for Passover. And the blood of the lamb is flowing down into this little brook, Kidron. And as Jesus is stepping over this brook, it's blood red. Remember what uh, John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This must have really touched Jesus' heart. For the time has come and he is the Lamb of God. And he is to be sacrificed. And he's going to be wrestling on, the, on this Mount Gethsemane. And then he's going to be wrestling with sin on Mount Calvary. So we finish. So Jesus went out with the disciples over the brook Kidron. We finish with verse 1. There was a garden. And he and his disciples, they entered the garden. Now Judas, verse 2, who betrayed him, well, he knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And Judas, he received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons, now, think about this. A detachment can be as many as 600 soldiers. And they estimate that there was a minimum of 200, but very likely 600 soldiers. And here he comes with all these soldiers and with the chief priests and temple guards, and they're all coming to confront a lamb. And the lamb has what? 11 would-be soldiers with him, disciples. And the scene is crazy. 
And here they are. Verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things, nothing surprised him. He had already said before the Father, he'd asked, is there any other way that the sins of mankind can be taken care of? There was no other way. He was the way. Remember what he said, I am the way, truth, and the life. He was the way. Thy will be done, Father. So he knew all things that would come upon him. And so he goes forward. It says he went forward and said to them, So who are you seeking? He's presenting himself before the world. And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, of course we know from another gospel that he betrayed him with a kiss. He stood with them. Something to note about this passage in your notes, number one, he, the word he, it's in italics, which means Jesus was actually saying to them, I am. It's another declaration of his deity. Remember when they were questioning him and in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And of course, they knew what he was saying. He was saying the very name of God, Jehovah, I am that I am. We see that before Moses says he's on holy ground before the burning bush. And, and I believe it's the Christophany of Jesus himself speaking to Moses from the bush. I am that I am. Well, here he is again. So they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself. He slipped away. There was, his time hadn't come yet, but now his time has come. And so when he said to them, I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. So the torture, torches are falling, the armor's clinging, the, uh, the guys go down under just the sheer power of Jesus just proclaiming, I am. Jesus could have slipped away as, as his power before them just caused them to go down to the ground. And he could have just slipped away. But he chose to stay for you and for me. He willingly surrendered himself to them. And he asked them again, Okay, come on, you're, you're here. Why are you here? Who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth? <laughs> and Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these others go away, the eleven disciples. Let them go. You're after me. And that the saying might be fulfilled, verse 9, which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. You see, Jesus cares about his disciples. He's about to be arrested, tried, tortured, 
crucified. But think about this. His priority is the safety of his disciples. Peter, you better be listening to this. Are you, are you listening? Are you doing what Jesus is asking the crowd to let you do? To slip away? To get away? To be protected? But, but what does Peter do? Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, he drew it. Oh, no. Peter, are you, you're a much better fisherman than you are a swordsman. <laughs> what are you thinking? Come on, Peter. Well, Peter was thinking, I told you, Jesus, I told you that I was willing to lay down my life for you, and I meant it. And I'll die with you if I have to. Whatever it takes, I'm here. And there he stood. And most of the, dis the disciples had scattered, but not Peter. And so what did Peter do? We finish verse 10. And he struck the high priest's servant, the high priest, the main guy himself, his servant, and he cut off his right ear. And the blood flows and the ear falls to the ground. The servant's name was Malchus. After what happened next, we read in the Gospel of Luke about what happened next. At this point, Jesus reached down, picked up the ear, I think with one hand, put his other hand on the side of his head, and the blood stopped flowing, and then reached over and replaced the ear. And who knows what he said to Malchus. I'll bet it wasn't long after Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave that Malchus says, I'm going to follow that guy. <laughs> wow. So, had Jesus not healed Malchus, there would have been, instead of three crosses on Calvary's hill, there would have been four. Peter would have been captured and he would have been crucified for that very offense right there. But, where's the evidence? He's healed. He did what? Well, yeah, he, he cut off my ear. Where? Um, huh. I think he cut off my ear. It sure hurt like crazy. No, there's no evidence. So Peter should have skedaddled at that time. Jesus says to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? Thy will be done, Father. This is why I have come. I understand there's no other way. Whatever the cost, I'm here to pay that cost. Listen to what Jesus says to Peter in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 26, the message translation. Jesus says, don't you realize that I'm able right now to simply call to my Father and there would be 12 legions, 12 companies or more 
if I wanted more, of fighting angels. And they would be here battle ready. But if I did that, how would the scripture come true that say this is the way it has to be? There's no other way. When you think about prophecy in the Old Testament, the way I see and understand prophecy is like this. Somehow, God takes a snapshot of the future as it's happening and then kind of folds it into the Old Testament in different places. So as you're reading through the Old Testament, you're seeing all these snapshots and little videos of the future, even though it hasn't happened yet. But it's going to happen because God took a picture of the future and he put it in the Old Testament as proof that when Jesus came that day, first Christmas morning in Bethlehem, Remember, the wise men asked, so where is he going to be born? Well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. It's in the scripture. Sure enough, when they got there, they found him. And Jesus is saying, no, scripture stated this will happen. I'm here, and because I'm here, it's going to happen. It must happen this way. So 700 years before Jesus arrived on this planet. Isaiah 53, I'm reading from the New International Version. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. It's just, it's a, it's a video of now what's actually happening right before the disciples' eyes. But it was written 700 years before it happened. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought upon us peace The punishment was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. For we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we see it was not the ropes. It was not the soldiers that would bind Jesus that night? What bound him? Well, it was his love for you and for me. In the next section, we see Jesus' trial before the high priest. starts with verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers, after they got back up and got their armor adjusted and sheepishly said, yeah, we're after Jesus of Nazareth. Well, here I am. So they finally grab him. They bind him. They arrested Jesus. 
In verse 13, they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. So this is a little confusing what's going on here. Uh, the high priest, A.D. 5 to 16, was Annas. But he turned his position over to his son-in-law, Caiaphas. The Romans probably had something to do with that. But one of the reasons that I understand he did it is because he wanted to, to be in charge of all the temple concessions and he was becoming an incredibly wealthy man because of all the exchanges and the money changers and they all had to pay him to be in the temple area and he was, he was becoming wealthy beyond belief. So here's Jesus standing before him, the one who challenged his livelihood by coming into the temple, not once, but twice, turning over the money changers and chasing them out. My father's house is a house of prayer. Well, now Jesus is standing before this guy. Although Annas was no longer the official high priest, I think when they took him to him first, they kind of showed us that he's still the power behind the throne. Verse 14, it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews. This is just some information that John the Apostle is giving us. And the Lord spoke through Caiaphas, even though he was an unwilling servant to be spoken through. The Lord can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. It was expedient that one man should die for the people. In other words, it was given a prophecy even at that time through the high priest's office that Jesus would be the one who would die for our sins. Not only ours, but for the sins of the world. And here we go back to Peter. And Simon Peter was long gone, right? Where was he? He was following Jesus. So we see just how much Simon truly did love the Lord. He goes, ah, I love you, Lord. I told you I'm going to hang in there with you even if I have to die. I know you told me to go, but I just can't. I love you so much. I love you with all my heart. And that's why I think Peter is still there. There might have been a little pride involved, but he's there. And there was another disciple as we go on with verse 15. There's kind of a lot of speculation about who that other disciple was. Um, maybe it was Nicodemus. He was, he was one of the in crowd, but he had met you know, Jesus and he had, as best as we can tell, already given his heart to the Lord, but he was kind of a secret disciple. Um, we're not sure exactly who it was, but there was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Well, I kind of like John Corson's explanation of who he thinks the other disciple is. So he shares this. Uh, there was a spot in Jerusalem traditionally and historically identified as Zebedee's fish stand. 
This is how John knew the high priest. Zebedee and his boys would sell and deliver the fish they caught to the wealthy high priest's household. And John Corson says, and John was the fish and chips delivery boy. <laughs> I don't know. It's possible. Stretching it a little bit, maybe. But whoever it was, he knew the high priest, he was allowed into the courtyard, and he knew Peter. Peter stood outside, verse 16, outside the, the door. He should have stayed outside. This disciple, whoever he was, by what he did next, he was not helping Peter follow Jesus' command or wishes for him. This other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her, the gal that was keeping the door, and brought Peter in. Now let's take a moment to remember the conversation that Peter had with Jesus in the upper room. This is from Gospel of John and from the Gospel of Mark. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you, for your sake. And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Ha! Peter, more vehemently Whatever it takes, I, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Never deny you. So Peter heads through the door. Then the servant girl, probably a teenager, who kept the door, said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he says, I'm not. Denial number one. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there. It was cold. They warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. I wonder what Peter was feeling and thinking at that moment as he stood there and stared into the fire. I'll never deny you, Lord. Never deny you. What must he have already started feeling like? Shouldn't have gone through the gate. Should have obeyed Jesus. He's trying to protect you. Then, we shift from Peter to the trial. Verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. So Jesus ignores the first question about his disciples. Jesus is protecting them. But he jumps on the question about his doctrine. And he begins to challenge the high priest. The Jewish law demanded that there be two or three witnesses with 
accusations that are proven in any trial before the high priest. And Jesus is simply saying, where are the witnesses? Are you doing this according to the word of God? And Jesus answered him, verse 20, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. I'm not doing anything behind the scenes. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me. Ask those that you sent to ask me questions. Ask those that you sent to ask me questions and when I gave them answers, they realized everything he says is according to God's word and there's nothing that we can say to accuse him of. Who's the son of David, Jesus asks. Well, the Messiah. Well, then why does the scripture say that David calls him Lord? And they were dumbfounded. We, we don't know. Well, the answer is, is because Messiah is Lord. And that's me. But they left him and they asked him no more questions after that. So, ask those who heard me. Ask those who heard what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. But it wasn't the truth that they were after. They were trying to find anything that they could accuse him of because they had already made up their mind we're going to crucify him. We're going to crucify him. Jesus pressed his point. He exposed their hypocrisy. Where are the witnesses? Jesus was reminding the high priest and those around the high priest, this is all completely wrong. It's not according to God's word. The motives are completely wrong. It's hypocrisy. And verse 22, And when he said these things, all of the officers who stood by struck Jesus, one of the officers, excuse me, with the palm of his hand saying, Do you answer the high priest like this? Well, he understood Jesus' implication that the high priest was a hypocrite. And Jesus answered, verse 23, If I have spoken evil, Bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? If well, if it's the truth, why do you strike me? More insight into this point in time in Jesus' trial. The Gospel of Luke picks up at this point. Luke 22. Now the men who held Jesus... They begin to mock him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and they asked him, saying, Prophesy! Who struck you on the face that time? It's during this trial that the intense suffering that Jesus began to experience and bear on our behalf. This is when it began to happen. They put a covering over his head. And then one by one, they would punch him with everything they had in the face. 
And they challenged him. Okay, who's going to hit you this next time? And here comes the blow. Think about this. Someone strikes you and you, out of the corner of your eye, you can see it, you, you move, you, you dodge, but he's blindfolded and he cannot move. And he's struck with every, with all the hate that they have for him. Time after time, punch after punch. And when he's hit, he's, he, he has, he's defenseless and excruciating pain. And possibly the blood is already beginning to flow. And when you're blindsided, excruciating pain and damage, nothing Jesus can do. He remains silent. Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 24. And the final three verses, Peter's final denials before the Lord. At this point, we find us again with Peter. He's staring down at the fire, kind of trying to stay under the radar. But there he is where he shouldn't be. Whenever the Lord gives you direction and you ignore his direction, Oh, you're not in the right place. Get back where he wants you to be. Trust him. Well, Peter's ignored the direction of Jesus. Here he is. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warned himself. Therefore they said to him, "Uh, You are not also one of his disciples, aren't you? He denied it (coughs) and said, I'm not. That's number two now. And one of the servants of the high priest, it happened to be a relative of Malchus whose ear Peter had cut off. He must have been standing there when that all happened. And he goes, hey, I, I know exactly who you are. Did I not see you in the garden with Jesus? You the one that actually cut off my cousin's ear? Peter denied again and immediately a rooster crowed. A little more insight into that picture we read from Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. It says, when this guy asked Peter about that, Matthew twenty six seventy four, Peter began to curse and swear because he, he knew he was busted. He had to deny it emphatically. I do not even know the man. I don't even know that man that's on trial. Immediately, the rooster crowed. And then in Luke's Gospel, when that happened, the rooster's crowing, Peter's denied him. It says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter's looking at Jesus. Peter remembered the word of the Lord. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. So after his failure in our notes, Peter weeps bitterly because his heart is overwhelmed with his failure. 
his failure to prove his love for Jesus. Did he love the Lord? Yeah, with all his heart. But he just couldn't live up to what he wanted to do for Jesus. He just couldn't. And his remorse is beyond probably our comprehension what he's going through. So what about Peter? Well, Jesus goes to the cross and Peter's sins and denials are placed upon him. Oh, but that's just the beginning. My sins, my failures are placed upon him. Oh, but that's, we're just starting. All of your sins, your failures were placed upon him. Oh, there's more. The Bible says the sins of the whole world were placed upon him. The Bible says that he became sin for us. Why? That we might become a free gift of his righteousness, robed in his righteousness on the cross. He did that for Peter, for you, and for me. And so after he goes to the cross and he bears the penalty for Peter's denial. He makes a point of finding Peter. And we read in John chapter 21, he found Peter to restore Peter's fellowship with him. Three times, Peter, do you love me? I think each time was to help Peter erase that denial. And finally, Peter says, To Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. You know I failed. You know I couldn't live up to what I said I would do for you. You know all of that. And and I just don't even deserve to be your disciple anymore. But what does Jesus do? He says, Peter, you feed my sheep. You feed my sheep. You be my minister. And Peter understood the Lord's love for him like he had never understood before. And then sometime later, uh, 50 days or so, on the day of Pentecost, it was Peter who had the courage to stand up in in the square at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem itself and accuse the, the religious leaders and the Romans, you crucified an innocent man. But it was God's plan. And he died not only for you and for me, but for the sins of the whole world. But you go to David's mount and the grave. David's still there. You go to Jesus' grave. It's empty. He's alive. We've seen him. And he proclaimed Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and his resurrection that day. And there were 3,000 that came to Jesus and made him their Lord and Savior that day. But that was just the beginning. Peter was just getting started. And he would go to the Temple Mount every day and proclaim the love of Jesus Christ and that he's alive. And finally they had had enough 
in Acts 4, verses 18 through 20, they commanded Peter and the other disciples, don't speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter and John answered and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, (laughs) you judge. And we cannot help but speak the things which are the truth that we've seen and we've heard. Talk about courage. Well, the courage is just overflowing in Peter's heart and life right now. Peter, aren't you glad our God is the God of the second chance and for you the third chance? (laughs) And really, whatever it takes, for someone to come to the Lord and receive his forgiveness. So 700 years before Jesus actually went to the cross, it was recorded in the book of Isaiah that this is now possible because this is going to happen. Jesus is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. It will happen. So recorded 700 years before it happened, now it's happened. So now we're looking back, and Peter's looking back to what the Lord has done. But understand these verses. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as as wool. Cody and Lexi, come on up. So it was not the ropes or the soldiers that bound Jesus that day. It was his love for you and for me. My time has come. The hour has come. And this is why I have come to this world as we have a new year before us because of what Jesus has done. If you never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you could have a new life before you. Oh, how he wants to be right in the middle to give you wisdom and direction and a hope and a future. Think about how great his love is for you as we close this service. Stand with me and we'll worship him.